Welcome to our podcast. It, this is a 25-year look across this autism spectrum. I'm Kelly Birmingham. I am a BCBA, been in the field working with children and adults with different developmental disabilities for over 25 years. And I am here with my partner in crime, Jennifer Lucero, mom to Dylan and Ethan. Hi there, Kelly. Hi, everybody. Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Jen, this is unusual for you and I. Usually it's you and me and the moms. Yeah. But this is our <laughs> this is our Father's Day special. And we are privileged to have um, autism dad extraordinaire, Rob Gorski, um, who has his own podcast, joining us today on our podcast. Welcome, Rob. Hi. Thank you for having me. Rob, for those who don't follow you and stalk you like I do on Facebook and on your blog, will you tell our audience like who you are? You're a dad raising three kids all yeah. on the spectrum and how you got into doing what you're doing. Um, okay, well, I'm Rob Gorski. Nice to meet everybody. Um, I am a single dad. I have three uh, kids on the spectrum uh, from 21, well, 21, 15 and almost 13. Uh, all boys, so that's super fun, especially at this age. Um, I, I started, all, well, all three of them were diagnosed on the spectrum in some place. Uh, my two youngest are, they do really, really well. And most people, I think we were talking before, like most people probably wouldn't notice anything. Mm -hmm. um, you guys probably would. <laughs> like, you know, you pick up on that stuff, you can see it from a mile away. Uh, my oldest, you know, he has some more challenges with health issues and things like that, but he does really, really well. He just decided he's going to move out, which is kind of a new thing during COVID. Uh, so it means I'm going to have an empty nest. I didn't think that was ever going to happen, but, you know, surprise. Um, I started writing as a means of like venting what I was feeling, like frustrations and stuff like that. And I, I thought that I was doing it in a private way. Um, on a, on a blog that was we uh, I'd set up at the time, I think it was June of 2010. And uh, I just used that as a place I could just like word vomit, whatever I was mm -hmm. feeling in the moment and just kind of, like I get frustrated throughout the day. So I would just hop on and I would write what I was feeling and I would hit publish, which I thought was still private. And I could <laughs> kind of like walk away from it. You know what I mean? Like you could just put it down and stop, not carry that baggage with you. And it, it worked out really well for me. Then I started getting comments and I'm like, how the hell are like, how is that happening? Cause this is private. Like how, how are people, how are people seeing this? Cause like, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, and I started getting a lot of really positive feedback, you know, and I, I wasn't saying anything like terrible or anything like that, but just not stuff that you would say in front of other people, maybe. At least at that point in time, I wasn't comfortable talking like that. So, uh, but people started, you know, thanking me because they found it to be comforting and they found uh, validation, you know, what they were feeling, whatever. And then it just sort of grew from there. As I recognized that it was helping people, I started growing that into something that not only helped me cope with everyday life, but also helped other people to kind of navigate things that I've already been through, I guess. And so it just sort of evolved into this. I don't know, there's like 13,000 posts now and um, 
four and a half seasons of the podcast and still here, I guess. I know you're well thought of um, in the community. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what were some of the, or are some of the challenges that you had to express? Um, I, know, I know they evolve over the years, right? As your children Yeah, grow. they evolve over the years. One of the issues I, um, Gavin is not my biological, my oldest 20, 21 is not my biological son. He was my ex-wife's son from her first marriage. Big, long, um, mouthful. Uh, <laughs> there was just a lot going on with like custody battles with his biological family. Um, and there was a lot of abuse and, and things like that. And I was just, I was struggling with behavior that he was doing. I was struggling trying to, you know, like I, I didn't have any kids of my own, but I was raising him since he was a year old. Uh, and I'm all he really knew as far as like a father figure goes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was hard trying to navigate. Like, I don't want to like step in on someone's, you know, kid or like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a weird, difficult thing to navigate. And so I was overwhelmed and frustrated and tired and trying to figure all this stuff out. My first blog was called Lost and Tired because that's how I felt. I was like lost mm -hmm. and tired. Um, and so, you know, if things happened where I was, you know, there were meltdowns and I was just frustrated because I couldn't, you know, figure out how to help him, things like that, or just even the behaviors were getting frustrating for me to deal with. Like I, you get, you're human. I'm human anyways. Like I like get uh, angry and resentful and all those emotions yeah. that we have zero control over. I, I would just talk about it. Like, you know, today was a rough day and I, I talked to her like somebody was out there listening. Mm -hmm. and I didn't know that there were uh so I was just sort of like unloading like you know today sucked I was so frustrated with this and this is why I was upset but then I always tried to come up with like a positive spin on it kind of at the end like you know but really you know it's been worse and today you know mm -hmm. we did okay and tomorrow's a clean slate and kind of you know just go from there to there to there to there to there um specific challenges you know meltdowns were a big thing we dealt with a lot of pica related stuff yeah um the eating of non-foods case people yeah, don't the eating of non-foods oh yeah we oh my gosh the hospital so many times wow um we had uh self-injurious behavior that was a big problem for a long time yeah um he was later in life well actually he was 18 he was diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia as well so that was there were challenges kind of growing up where those things were an issue but it doesn't mm -hmm. get diagnosed until much later in life right. uh he's doing fine now he's not medicated anymore or anything so he's doing really really well Great. wow but the, but it was a unique blend of challenges and then you know like i just i had never dealt with any like anything like that i i you know i was raised i'm the oldest of six kids so like i have a lot of experience around other people and mm -hmm. kids and stuff like that but i i'd never I wasn't prepared for anything like this and um but I wasn't going to quit either and so I just sort of needed an outlet and it turned out to be something positive mm -hmm. I, I'm a step parent to someone on the spectrum and it's a challenging experience for sure I get that we can do a whole other topic on that alone <laughs> it's a it's you talk about a fine line yeah you know, we were talking before we started recording there's a fine line in you know, in, in my situation, there was, you know, the, the biological father didn't want to be involved, but there were grandparents 
that had to fight to see you know him through their dad because grandparents didn't have rights in Ohio at the time and so it was just this big convoluted mess that he ended up paying the price for because he's a small kid being used as a weapon and he needed things that were very difficult to provide for him when you were limited by what the courts allow you to do and you know they were more concerned about preserving some fictional family unit than they were about the best interests of the child in question you know and trying to navigate all of that is is very very challenging it's very very challenging now it's not a problem but back then it was definitely challenging at what age was he diagnosed or what or when did you kind of know because i i mean i had the situation where you know, I knew for like two years, but I was in a state where, it, you know, back then it's totally different. And um, I started therapy really when he was two, but he actually mm-hmm. did not get diagnosed till he was four. Um, but I knew in my heart that something was up, but I just wondering like what that journey was like, plus you're going through, like you said, um, all these other issues with family. Yeah, well, you know, part of the part of the challenge for us was that a lot of his behavioral issues were explained by circumstances and environment, right? So yeah. we didn't recognize things were necessarily a problem. We thought it was acting out because of, uh, you know, transitional issues back and forth, or, um, you know, there was there there was abusive behavior that took place, and so we don't, you know, we we assumed. And, and he was in therapy the whole time and everybody just thought like, okay, the mud, the water was basically too muddy at that point to really be able to kind of tease out and parse everything that was going on to figure out exactly what was what. And he was, a, he was finally diagnosed. He was diagnosed with Asperger's in 2005. And then it became, they dropped the Asperger's and went to more just autism in general, because they were still kind of differentiating between the two. Yeah. Um, and then I want to say like around his 18th birthday, he was officially diagnosed with childhood disintegrated disorder, mm. which is a very rare form of autism that nobody knows about, uh, where they develop typically until about the age of three or four. And then it's like, you put them in bed, one person, they wake up somebody completely different. Yeah. Yep. And that's what happened to him. And, uh, that was, a, that was another thing that I struggled with was you grieve Mm-hmm. the loss of a child who's still there physically and you have to learn to uh you have you have to learn to embrace and get to know the child who is still present and it's a really weird it's a really weird experience like this is the only Gavin that I know now and I have for 20 or 15 years something like that 16 years mm-hmm. um but it is it's it's such a drastic shift in personality and likes and dislikes and everything that it's it's like someone came down and swapped him out with a clone mm-hmm. but left his personality and the person that we knew out of it and we just kind of had this there was a child who looked like gavin but didn't act like gavin didn't talk like gavin didn't respond like gavin and we had to learn to get to know him all over again yeah and it's a rewarding experience because you celebrate all the firsts again for the first time Mm-hmm. for the second time but it's a it's a very difficult situation to be in because you you feel guilty grieving because your child is still there but it's a lot like losing someone to alzheimer's mm-hmm. you you 
the person that you know is no longer present. And it was awful. I mean, it really was an awful experience. And I haven't, I haven't been in contact with too many people who have experienced that, uh, which is a good thing, I guess. But um, that, that was part of the other question that you had asked earlier. Yeah, I've actually, oh, yeah. sorry. I've worked with a number of children and families in that situation. I can think of about probably a hundred. Um, and it is a particularly devastating and emotional experience. Yep. The way you described, but were you, were you single at that point? No, no. no. Um, I was married. I was, we were together for 20 years, oh. uh, married for 17 um she she left in 2014 gone for about two years and then we reconciled late 2016 early 2017 and left again in august of 2019 and that was that was the last time and uh covid delayed a divorce but we got that done february of this year it was officially done um but i, I was i've I have honestly, looking back on things, probably the last 10 years, I was more of a single parent than I realized that I was. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you, you know, it's interesting because, you know, the research is, is varied about does having a child with special needs cause, cause um, divorce rates, right? I've seen lots of varied research yeah. on it. I've seen some research that says, yes, the stress definitely. Then I've seen some that know it's a combination of other stressors, but gosh, Jen, in our circle of like hundreds of people, we know there are so many divorces and so many single parents and yeah. right. Um, or maybe the families are still together, but there's a single parent doing all of the heavy lifting of raising the child. I was just curious. Usually both, the moms. Yeah. Both of you, what's your take on that? Like why? I know that happened in my with my husband, I mean, when I, when you say mom left in our experience, mm -hmm. mom literally left, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like literally left, not yeah. left the husband, not left the marriage, left the children too. <laughs> yeah. They, that's, that's pretty much what's happened in my sense. She doesn't live far away. Um, but, she, but there's not a whole lot of involvement, you know, like, I don't, I guess I, I well, I, I know that I don't understand it. Um, I know the kids don't understand it, but it is, I don't think it's a usual, like a common thing, but it is, it is challenging. And, um, but in a lot of ways it makes things easier for me, like, because I can just do what I've always done. I can just manage things the way they need to be managed. There's no, uh, I mean, we don't argue or fight anyways, you know, I mean, we talk when we need to talk and if the kids are involved or whatever, I mean, there's no everything's civil and, you know, uh, things like that, but it's just not, it's not the way they should be. Mm -hmm. And my kids deserve to have that. Uh, um, they deserve to have a better situation than, than what they do. And, and I have struggled with that for the last couple of years. And I've recognized with a lot of therapy, a lot of therapy, <laughs> that, uh, you know, I, I have no control over what other people do. Mm -hmm. I only have control over how I react to that and the things that I do. And so my only goal is to 
you know, foster whatever kind of healthy, productive relationship that my kids can have with their mom. Um, and if it doesn't happen, I can't do anything about it. I just won't be a roadblock for it and I'll be a facilitator and because and, I recognize the importance. Uh, but it is what it is and I can't allow uh, sometimes, I guess sometimes people, they have to catch up maybe. Yeah. And we can't stop moving forward, waiting for something that may or may not ever happen. So it's, we're going to pick up, we're going to move forward. We're going to do what we have to do to rebuild our lives and uh, recover from COVID and all of this other stuff. And, you know, so true. So I preserve their childhood. With having three boys, I, mm -hmm. I, I have two. Um, I have a you know, 21-year-old and 19-year-old, um, um, you know, typical child that sometimes gives me, you know, more grief. But um, yeah. <laughs> how do you manage, well, obviously through your blog and everything mm -hmm. you do, but are, are there other ways that you find time just to have time for you or downtime, just even if it's, you know, hiding in your room? like whatever it is like how do you and what advice do you give to you know I know you know we're pretty much 24 7 right and especially yeah. this last 15 months with the yeah. pandemic but how do you how do you unwind like what you know what makes you what keeps you sane besides you know therapy and writing on blogs <laughs> yeah I oh, that's a really good question um you know, for me, I, I recognize the importance of self-care because, mm -hmm. you know, one of the challenges with being a parent is that we all have this desire to, like, give our kids 100% of our everything. And if we do that, then we deplete ourselves to a point where we can't sustain that. And mm -hmm. then our kids suffer, right? So you know, the idea of putting back into yourself is really important to me. And I think it's entirely possible to do without sacrificing things to the kids. You know, the earlier you start doing it, the more natural it becomes and the better you, you know, your reserves are. But, uh, you know, I exercise is, is a good thing for me. Walking is a good thing for me. Working out is a good thing for me. Um, the writing can be frustrating sometimes because like I just, it becomes more of a chore, I think. Uh, the podcast is the podcast is okay. It's just a lot of work, mm -hmm. um, but it it does kind of take my mind off of things, and um, you know, I, I just try to do little things for me. Like I'm in my room. I set up everything in my room for right now because it's the quietest place in the house, and uh, I can hide away in here. Sometimes mm -hmm. I just shut and lock the bathroom door and just sit on the other side and check my email or something. And yep. I'm just like, I'm in the bathroom, guys. Like, you can't, you know. Um, I've done that many times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you just you just do what you can do to, to make it through the day. And any day you survive is, you know, a victory. Mm -hmm. And then you just take what you learned and, and build off of it and, and move forward. I remember um, I used to come home from work and my stepdaughter would be right there ready for me right <laughs> and right, like hey hey what's going on hey 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 kelly 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 and i would have a look on my face apparently 
Um, and I would, I, I would just be like, I need a second, hold on. And so I started to create a routine for myself where I would come home from work because my husband works from home. And so they'd be together all day. They were tired of each other. And I was like the fresh meat coming into the house, right? Um, and But I'd been working with children and adults with autism all day. So I needed like a second. So I would come in and I would go upstairs and close the bedroom door, change my clothes and just sit in the bathroom and look at Facebook to like decompress. And I remember my stepdaughter saying to me, how come you're so angry at me every day when you get home? And she didn't say it that nicely. Um, yeah. She didn't quite have all those words, but basically she said like, you're kind of a bitch when you come home. <laughs> wow. And frankly, that's what she said. And so I just had to like, explain to her what I was doing and why. And we had to create this whole routine because they would both just pounce on me. <laughs> and I was like, hold up a minute. <laughs> I think my, that's part of the deal. <laughs> my youngest, Emmett, uh, he's going to be 13 or 26. He, he's my warrior. He, he mm. constantly asks me how I'm doing. And I recognize I was just, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was, I realized not everybody like wears their emotions on their sleeve. Like, so, so even to somebody who's not on the spectrum, who is, who uh, can typically read people really well and understand body language, all that stuff. Like I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't read what was going on in her head. And so I had to ask and, you know, she thought she was being very clear. And I'm, I'm like, if I don't ask, I'm, I'm going to have no idea what's happening. And I, I realized with Emmett, it's the same thing. Like he is intelligent as he is, as bright and social and engaged as he is, there are still things that he struggles with. And because he's so intelligent, it's very disarming. You know, you think like you're talking to somebody who's 10 years older than, than he is. And you forget <laughs> that he struggles reading body language. He yeah. struggles reading my facial expressions. If I am not overtly happy, he worries that I'm, upset or sad or, or scared or hurt or something and I I have to I mean we're talking like 30 times a day he'll ask me wow. you know and you know throughout the day and sometimes it'll be like he'll ask me three or four times in a row just to gauge if like he feels like I'm being serious or not um and I, I have to tell him like Emmett like man I'm, I'm fine like I I I don't know I, I mean I wear a shirt that says happy uh or you know whatever but I think I told him the other day, I'm going to start just preemptively letting him know, hey, I'm having a great day. I'm feeling really good. And, and see if that helps to uh, diffuse that anxiety a little bit. But um, I, I get what you're saying because she's, she's interpreting how you're reacting when you come home as uh, something against her or something yeah. that she's done wrong. Uh -huh. and, it's, and, it's, and it's not. You're just looking to decompress from all of the other people and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so communication is is obviously a challenge at times. Yeah, my stepdaughter has quite a trucker mouth, so her answer is usually, "You look like a bitch," or "You're, wow. <laughs> you know, you look like you're having a bad fucking day." <laughs> at least she's not like sugarcoating it or anything, yeah. right? I mean, you know, you always know where she stands. You know what she's thinking. That's you know, no filter. No filter. No <laughs> Definitely no filter on that one. <laughs> so as a dad, you know, we don't get to talk yeah. to a lot of dads raising children. What advice would you give to other dads raising children on the autism spectrum? Uh, 
kind of get over yourself and <laughs> talk about how you're feeling. Like there's this perception that like guys can't be upset or guys have to be these strong whatever's all the time. And that just isn't the way that it has to be. I, I think that uh, I love it when I get dads to come on my yeah. podcast and just open up about things because like that doesn't happen very often. And I don't know why it should, yeah, you know, there should be no it. shame. And uh, like, I'm overwhelmed a lot of the time. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm whatever. I'm not ashamed to say that. It doesn't, it's, it's not a reflection of my kids. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel it's, it's not a weakness to me because I'm human and that's just kind of an inherent human weakness. Uh, but talking about it makes me feel better. And I know that there's other people out there who might be encouraged by hearing me talk about it and, and be more comfortable talking about it themselves. Uh, take care of yourself. You know, you have to make yourself a priority. Um, self-care. If you're married, like you, you have to, you have to take care of yourself and you take care of your marriage. Then you take care of your kids because if you're married, but your marriage is in shambles, that's going to have a negative impact on your kids. You can't be the best parent that you can be. So you work all those things out and now you're, you know, you're unified front and, and you have that foundation, that stability uh, to uh, present the best versions of yourselves that you can. And you mentioned before about the divorce rate. There, there's people who say they debunk that. I don't buy it. I don't either. <laughs> I don't believe it for a second. Nope. And it's not, it's not a reflection. You know, it's not because the kids are autistic. That's the problem. It's because people don't deal with the stress. That's yeah. right. We don't know how to, we don't know how to navigate it. And there's not a lot of help out there for that. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, if 51% of marriages fail anyways, yeah. you add blended families, you add, what do they say? 70% of blended families in a divorce. Yep. There, there's no way that you factor in special needs kids to that. And that doesn't up that percentage yeah. significantly. Um, it doesn't have to be that way, but you have to be very cognizant of that. You have to be aware of how it's impacting yourself and your partner. And people kind of get locked away in their own worlds and they're not, they, they forget that they're married or they forget that they're together and uh, things just fall apart before they realize, you know, they let too many things get between them. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I would love to see people avoid that yeah. because I think it would obviously be better for them to be a team doing that. Uh, and it's definitely better for the kids, you know, to have both parents in a healthy, stable place working together as a team, whether they're married or divorced, either way. Mm-hmm. I mean, working together as a unified team for the better interest of the kids, put all that other shit away and, and uh, deal with, you know, kids don't have to deal with grown up issues. Just put it away and, and do what your kids need. And uh, I definitely don't believe that. I, I totally think that it, it's 70, 80%. I, I think that's realistic at the very yeah, least. Definitely. I've never tracked it. I've probably worked with six or 700 children in their families. And, and my mind, mind immediately goes to, oh yeah, divorce, separate, divorce, 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 as I'm yep. thinking through all the families. So yeah, I mean, the stress um, is, it's just a different kind of stress, <laughs> right? They don't well, know. And, then people, and then people don't understand it. Right. So you can't like go to your friends and be like, oh my gosh, this is what's going on because you may have strained relationships with them because they don't understand what's going right. on and you're isolated and then you become two isolated people in the same house and, you know, and you should be the staunchest allies should be the the rock for each other and it ends up 
you just drift apart before you realize that it's happening. And, um, and by then a lot of times it's, it's too late, but I definitely think it's disingenuous for people to say that that doesn't happen because mm -hmm. it obviously happened. Yeah. And it's not a reflection of the kids. It's not the kid's fault. It's, we don't know how to manage the situation. There's, there's nobody out there with parenting books to tell you how to manage the stress of raising kids with special needs. You, you just mm -hmm. have to find your way. And a lot of times people get lost. Yeah. Um, Rob, sh uh, share your, your podcast name so people can hear it and they can go to it. Sure. Uh, well, if you go to the autismdad.com, yep. all of the stuff is there. You just, there's a listen button. You can click on that, or you can just look up the autism dad podcast on whatever you listen to your stuff on. It should be there. Um, and you can reach out. I always try to respond to anybody that reaches out. Sometimes people just need to bounce ideas off or just to vent or whatever. And if I can help, I'm happy to do that. Awesome. awesome. I can't wait to listen. Say it again, Jen. Thank you. I said, I can't wait to listen. Yep. Autismdad.com. Thank, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was nice to meet you guys. It was. It's nice, nice to, it's nice to meet you after following you and meet you in person. So I know I've given your information out to many dads that I've worked with. So thanks for all, thank you. You. Thanks for all that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate it.